The Rooted. History. When we began, we were isolated, solitary. Living alone or in pairs, we struggled to survive in the harsh wilderness. But as we looked to the natural world, observing its patterns and the flow of energy from birth to death and beyond, we found that there is no escaping the cycle. We are free to choose. We can resist it, fight it, try to change it and live small lives, painful and short and afraid. Or we could move with it, follow it like a river follows its bed. We look to the bog for our power. Ours were some of the earliest crafts discovered, the first magics explored. Water and blood for a plentiful cranberry harvest. Moss, quartz, and pine needles for divining storms. The bone of a crow for cunning. A carved root to protect. Our tools were sticks and stones, our ingredients the offerings of the earth. Our power, the energy that runs through all things. We experimented. Trial and error and our own intuition taught us to recognize the energies that reverberated through every leaf, insect, and mushroom in the bog. Even the rocks and the water brimmed with the energy of the cycle to be matched to our intents. How could we not? It was all there in front of us. How could we ignore the magical bounty that nature had gifted to us? Soon, we were able to see the very flow of magic towards Lethru themselves. Every last one of us carried some knowledge of the land and its mysteries. But none of us knew all. We began to gather, seeking out spots where the streams of magic met and coalesced, choosing those plentiful places to build homes and refuges. We shared what we knew amongst ourselves, trading tricks and resources, and wrote down the knowledge we had gained. In every community, there was one who possessed the greatest sum total of our knowledge. These met in coven at the richest pool of magical mire that we could find to mingle and ensure that all that they had to share was common. When their work was done, each brought home a piece of the ritual fire that set their coven's cauldron simmering. They lit their hearths by it, warmed their groves, and thus planted the seeds that would become the first groves. As the groves grew, our people prospered. Young saplings had a safe place to learn and grow while blossoming witches nurtured them. When it came time for a hearth to change hands, its tender would choose their most promising apprentice and bequeath to the student their hat. The heirlooms were a symbol of authority and a reliquary for power. Soon, tree branches rang with our songs and the forest paths were tread by generations of footsteps, each following the ones that came before, cutting our path a little deeper with each turn of the wheel. Then came the breaking. All too often our paths crossed with those of other clans in the mire, and as tensions grew amidst the bog, these meetings began to chafe. They trampled unthinking on our most sacred sites, drew from the bog in disregard for the cycle until the land ailed. At last it was too much to stomach. We turned to the ways of war, perhaps foolishly, and when the Watchers suggested an alliance against the kin who grew too numerous for the land to support, we accepted in hopes that this would restore the balance. We fought in the ways that we knew, wielding the many illnesses of the bog as our greatest weapon. It was all a grave mistake. When the kin struck back at us, they did so in totality, cursing hearths to run rampant until they consumed their tenders and even the groves around them. Pestilence overtook us became that for which we were known. 
Those who had been our allies feared us too greatly to give us haven, turning us away even as we pleaded for their help. In vengeance, many of us sold them tainted crop, only prompting them to isolate us further. All the while, the plagues coursed through what we had left. We were left with two grim futures. Face annihilation, or go our separate ways. The breaking cost our community as we turned to isolation in order to mitigate the plague's spread. No more did we dare to gather. Groves shrank to collections no larger than dozens. Each fended for its own, in time learning to ingest and absorb the infections, building immunities to the maladies that swept through our homes. So we survive. Pockets of us tucked away in the thickets of forests, carried by the cycle back into the singular nature from which we had grown. Still following that unending flow of the seasons, still casting the roots and bones that are our legacy, walking the paths that our magic has carved into the earth, still waiting, dormant seeds, until our clan can blossom anew. The people. Culture. More than anything else, the rooted honor Lethru, the cycle. As a culture that is rooted in the earth, they understand that all things are born, grow, die, and decay. Every part of this unending ring is honored in their lives, their magic, and their faith. The equinoxes and solstices are observed with equal parts joy and solemnity, honoring the wheel of the year as an echo of the cycle. The spring equinox is a time of rebirth and jubilation, release from the cold confines of the winter. Exchanges of gifts, especially for courtship, and dances round a flower and fungus-bedecked pole are common traditions. The summer solstice is a time of both gratitude for the ease and plenty of the season and acknowledgement that everything that thrives soon dies. Bonfires are lit at sunset to honor the longest day. The fall equinox is celebrated with a harvest feast, a final hurrah before the leaner times come. The winter solstice is a quiet and contemplative time, a season of rest before the activity of spring. It is observed with reflective meditation on the turning of the cycle, the events of the year, and one's personal growth. Most rooted practice gardening and gathering with some larger communities maintaining farms. Seeds are prized both for their ties to birth and for their use in agriculture. Nature, harsh though it may be, and the land are given the utmost respect. While plenty of rooted are content to farm the same crops year after year, there is a long tradition of foraging and exploration. Many witches have favored gathering sites that they will visit to find new plants and fungi. Useful or promising components are harvested and dried for future use. At glades and chance meetings, rooted will trade or share these goods. Rooted have no fear of using the dead or the decaying in their workings. A dead animal or plant has just as much use as a living one, and these gifts should not be wasted. Fungus is seen as a sign that the cycle is turning as it should, life growing from decay. Even the way that the rooted treat their dead reflects this. When the spirit leaves its physical shell, friends and relatives of the deceased will gather components from the body for use in ritual and spell work. Bones, hair, teeth, flesh, anything of use to the living. Whatever is not harvested is hoisted into the trees on a wooden platform to be eaten by birds, the body returning to the earth to nourish it and fulfilling its place in the cycle. Names. While rooted are frequently given names that reflect the natural world, 
such as Rowan or Lilac. It is not unusual for them to bear more common names. Unlike other clans, who identify themselves as part of a group or family, the Rooted are much more individualistic and differentiate themselves by other means. When a Rooted matures and observes their solitary hermitage, the moment comes during this sojourn when they feel the most complete and at peace with who they are, when their life's path becomes clear. They will take the name of a landmark, key to their meditations as part of their own name. A Rooted might be named Adel Between Two Rivers or Kala Beneath the White Tree. Society. Rooted homesteads are scattered and isolated, with wide expanses of unpopulated wilderness between them. These homesteads are places for raising crops, animals, and families. A rooted grove contains a central dwelling, built from wood and sod, wherein its members sleep, eat, socialize, and practice their crafts. There are plentiful gardening spaces, dedicated to the cultivation of edible, medicinal, and magical plants as well as a pen for animals and at least two storehouses. These storehouses are built from hollowed-out trees and contain both fresh and preserved food for later trade or consumption. There will also be an outdoor working space dedicated to the performance of spells and rituals. These vary from family to family and may be as simple as a circle of stones or an old tree stump or as complex as an intricately designed altar hand-built from a wealth of natural materials. Due to the remote nature of rooted groves, central gathering places are necessary for individuals of the clan to meet one another. Built around a distinctive landmark, such as a large tree, standing stone, or river, these are places for rooted to gather to trade, socialize, and settle disputes. Rooted will periodically travel to these gathering sites, called glades, laden with the goods that they have harvested or produced to trade for anything they cannot easily obtain from their own patch of land. In addition to being home to makeshift bazaars, it is here that the rooted congregate to celebrate the solstices and equinoxes with other members of their clan, observing the passage of the cycle. These places are overseen and maintained by rooted known as glade keepers. Glade keepers are the closest thing that the rooted have to public servants acting as arbiters, community organizers, and record keepers. They are supported by tithes paid by a portion of goods that come to market. Cryptids. There is hardly a rooted alive without some tale of the strange creatures with whom they share the bog. While unusual animals are commonplace occurrences, there are stories of some that have never actually been seen by the community at large, or have been seen so rarely that it is difficult to prove that they actually exist. Wiuarod. One common tale is of a large squirrel named Wiuarod, known for stealing small objects. Rooted have large, unorganized collections of components and will frequently blame Wiuarod for a missing herb or talon. Scallywaggers. Rooted parents will warn their children of the three-tailed lizards who lie, lie in wait in the deep pools of the bog. A child who does not watch their step or mind their parents might be pulled into the bog, never to be seen again. Or so the legend goes. Whether they exist or not, rooted parents use them to scare children into behaving. The Fiend A still more unsettling fable is that of the Fiend a being with the upper half of a man and the legs and horns of a goat. 
he is seen at the periphery of groves and glades, swathed in an eerie fog, and his appearance always heralds some great catastrophe. The Weird Sisters Finally, there are old folk tales of three ageless sisters, mysterious, masked, and by some accounts mad, who dwell deep within the wetlands, dealing out help or harm as their capricious whims demand. The Structure Community Though rooted communities were intricate and densely packed during the times of the settling and the learning, the rooted of today live in much smaller family groups, usually a mere handful of people. They will live in small groves, referring to both the family and the dwelling place, made entirely of blood relatives or chosen family. Unless a life of hermitage is chosen, rooted will form groves with one to three partners, sometimes romantic, sometimes platonic and any children that they may have. Groves used to always welcome travelers and passers-by, but they have become more shy since the breaking. When a young rooted reaches adulthood, they leave these groves to start their own families after a period of solitary meditation. Devoted rooted will sometimes choose to live as hermits and practice on their own. Historically, this was an uncommon lifestyle choice, but the breaking caused many rooted to live alone either to hide from disease or because the rest of their coven had died. Today, many of the most skilled rooted are hermits who attract visitors and students eager to learn a trick or two. Hermits will occasionally travel to a glade for a festival or to find components that are otherwise scarce. Authority. Hearth tenders. In the days of the settling, the most powerful and experienced witch of each rooted community met in a coven to exchange knowledge, returning home with copies of each other's grimoires as well as a piece of the sacred fire that burned there. These became the first hearth tenders, leaders and teachers of their community. Training the best and brightest of the glade, hearth tenders would choose an apprentice to succeed them, passing down an heirloom hat along with the duty and office of the sacred flame. As war and plague broke out in the bog, the majority of the hearth tenders perished, along with their apprentices, targeted by the warriors of other clans, leaving the rooted without direction. Glade Keepers Today, the rooted do not have a central hierarchy, their communities being as small and scattered as they are. As such, they do not have recognized governing figures. The closest are the glade keepers, rooted who are called to serve their clan as civil servants. This position is considered to be a personally meaningful duty, and glade keepers dedicate their lives to their vocation. Once aides to the hearth tenders in times past, glade keepers now act as mediators, planners, administrators, and resources for information. They hold festivals at various times throughout the year and organize trade within the glade. When a hermit or teacher passes through a glade, the glade keeper will host them and spread word to local rooted to visit. These forums and impromptu classes contribute to the betterment of the clan at large. Following the great losses of the breaking, the glade keepers have become more integral, more respected, as the common rooted begin to look to them for guidance. Though never intended to be governors, the glade keepers have stepped up. In this new era of the weaving, they've taken on the responsibility of organizing and galvanizing their fellow clan members into reconstruction efforts, including the work of the circle. The work. Economy. 
The Rooted as a Clan put the craft back in witchcraft. A society rich with artisans and craftspeople, the Rooted see the act of physically making something as magic in and of itself. This process of creation is a meditative one, and the result is often both beautiful and functional. Using materials harvested from the natural world, wood, stone, and fibers, many Rooted learn a mundane craft alongside a magical one. That said, it is not unusual for those lines to blur. The artistry often becomes a focus for magical workings, and the finished product often contains a seed of the creator's power. The economy of the clan runs on the trading of these handmade goods. All are witches among the rooted. All members of the clan apply both practical skills and sorcerous ones, though the level of study in either varies from individual to individual. They are also the clan with the greatest agricultural aptitude. Bound as they are to the land, it is rare that they stray too far from the territory they've staked out. Lands are often claimed along a ley line. This keeps them near to the fields and bog gardens that they cultivate in accordance with their understanding of the cycle. The rooted have a close spiritual relationship with their work, and harvests are often abundant, allowing harvest festivals and trade with other clans. The crops produced by the rooted include cranberries, blueberries, rice, taro, watercress, water chestnuts, lotus, and swamp cabbage. They also keep pigs, both for meat and to aid in mushroom foraging, as well as tame ducks for eggs. Rooted are expert foragers and have extensive knowledge of local edible herbs and fungi. Technology The rooted were the first clan to develop mundane inoculations. After being ravaged by disease in the breaking, their ability to fight off illness was greatly damaged. Any new sickness could easily decimate a grove. So, to fight this, they began a practice of exposing their children to small amounts of disease to strengthen them against it. In this way, familiar maladies are easy to shake off without even developing symptoms. They have also made great strides in agricultural innovation. Selecting for the best traits, they have bred their crops to be hardier, producing greater yields and richer flavor. Crop rotation and composting have led to more nutrient-rich soil. Finally, the rooted are the great beast tamers of the bog, domesticating a variety of unusual farm animals. Water buffalo, for the purpose of tilling and harvesting, or massive beavers for gathering wood. It was the rooted who first bred the tusked and belligerent bog boars down to more docile and manageable truffle pigs. Magic Rooted magic is based in the material plane. Herbs, stones, roots, and bones are staple components in their spells. They do not shy away from the more unsavory ingredients either, such as mushrooms, insects, and animal parts. A superstition widely held among the rooted is that one must not leave their hair or fingernails lying around. Body parts remain closely connected to the witch that shed them, and if a rooted with malicious intent were to obtain a clipping, the personal havoc they might wreak is limited only by the cruelest imagination. Cut hair and fingernails are either burned or stored safely to be used in ritual. Their spells are sympathetic in nature, relying on the correspondences of energy that flow through the materials of the bog, both mineral and organic. A rooted seeks out components whose energy vibrates at the frequency of their intent, and then focuses and directs this energy towards their goal. 
they are adept at seeking out locations with great magical potential, ley lines and the nodes where they meet. Rooted will often build their settlements around such places of power, turning them into central gathering places, glades, for spells and rites. Rooted magic is defined by individualism. Magic varies wildly, not only by region, but even from glade to glade. Rooted teachers have always encouraged experimentation and a personal connection to the craft. Magic is taught from witch to witch if it is taught at all. Tragically, during the breaking, many witches died without passing on their craft and countless spells and potions were lost forever. Hermitage and the Phases of Life When rooted youths, referred to as saplings, come of age at 18, it is customary to spend a year and a day in solitude. They bid their families goodbye and leave their groves, venturing deep into the wilds of the bog. During this time, they are expected to practice their crafts, both magical and mundane, meditate on the cycle, and live cloistered from the rest of their clan, seldom seeing another living soul. The purpose of this sojourn is to foster a sense of independence and individuality, so that the young rooted might find their own personal path, unconstrained by the expectations of their parents and teachers. It is the time for the saplings to personalize their magical practice, experimenting and developing their own systems of witchcraft, honing their own senses for what feels right. Typically, at the end of this period, witches are considered to have blossomed into full adulthood and will return to society to form a new grove made up of a few close friends or lovers. It is expected that a rooted in blossom will spend their days in some manner of productivity, as best suits their personal interests and goals, be it gardening and gathering, artistry, the practice of witchcraft, child-rearing, public service as a gladekeeper, or any combination thereof. However, some witches find that a solitary practice suits them, and choose a life of permanent hermitage. Rather than return from the wilds as a blossom, these hermits devote themselves fully to the study of magic and the philosophy of the cycle. As such, their wisdom is greatly respected by the rest of the clan, despite a tendency to lean towards the eccentric. Many seek out these hermits to learn from them, becoming temporary apprentices, and they attract attention whenever they make a rare appearance at a glade. They also have a reputation as gifted healers, and are sought out when all other hopes for survival fail. Once the first hermitage has been completed, age is no limiting factor. Rooted may return to this solitary practice at any time of their life. Indeed, many have chosen this lifestyle after reaching advanced age when their children have grown up and left the grove, their partners passed beyond the veil. Any rooted choosing to live the rest of their life as a hermit, whether young or old, is known as a snag. Diplomacy The Kin in the early days, emissaries of the Watchers came to us, speaking of a terrible vision. We cast our bones, read the tea leaves and entrails, consulted the waters and the flames, the wind in the leaves, and they all seemed to agree. The kin were a threat. It seemed to fit. The focus on the ties of blood, the impulse to bind more and more by these ties, it was foreign to us. We wondered if the kin did not feel the promise of their individuality stifled. Unease erupted into conflict, and we joined with the other clans in their persecution of the kin. Our knowledge of the bog's gifts served us well. 
We brewed poisons and cultivated sicknesses. The mixture of power and physic turned deadly. We unleashed a terrible pestilence upon our foe. And for every kin that fell to the violence, one more fell to our fevers burning in their blood. We thought the balance restored. We thought ourselves saved. Until the retaliation. The kin's return was merciless. It laid low the hearth tenders, broke the spine of our clan. With our numbers diminished, our people scattered across our lands and cut off for one, from one another. We've had the time to reflect on the kin. We had not considered the importance of our connections to each other until we lost them. We had forgotten the cycle, the lesson of the bog. Ripples spread, and what affects one affects all. The wheel turns, and the pain we dealt to the kin we dealt also to ourselves. Our coexistence with the kin is uneasy. The scars of the past are deep. But all agree, things must change if we are to regain the bonds that were. The Veilwalkers. When we lost our leaders in the breaking, further retribution followed from the cycle itself. Our sins were returned to us in the form of a plague we could no longer control. As our friends and family fell ill all around us, we turned to a clan that had been our allies against the kin. Though we had once chided the Veilwalkers for their practices, denouncing them as subversions of the cycle, we put aside those judgments and begged for help in the face of extinction. They refused and turned us away in fear. Our anguish grew, and we damned them for it not knowing until it was too late how the few of our number that they had taken in had killed entire towns with the infections they carried. Though we recall the forsworn oaths of the breaking with bitterness, the pain of loss is greater, and our hearts have been changed by it. The Pale March has come to us with open ears and open minds, seeking to mend bridges, and with each visit, more and more of us are willing to sit and converse with them. Though there is little balm they can offer us, and little we understand of them, they come regardless. The resentment won't be healed overnight, but this is a beginning. The Watchers We were always aware of the disdain the Watchers held for us. The feeling is mutual. With their eyes on the skies instead of the world around them, the Watchers were less likely to discover some great cosmic truth than they were to fall into a ditch though it was the Watchers who formed that first misguided alliance. When our people were suffering, they granted us no more shelter than the Veilwalkers had, closing their doors in our faces. Our hatred burned, and the vengeance against their indifference was terrible. We sent them food, tainted by our pestilence, sent our witches who showed no symptom, but were nevertheless steeped in illness, until they cut off all trade and contact. The Watchers had shown us nothing but disregard, yet none but us could have laid them so low. We have little use for scrolls or prophecies in these days of rebuilding. Indeed, the Watchers have no knowledge that we desire. We have no need of fussy attempts to count and measure and sort the truths that we feel in our very bones, and their presence in our midst chafes. We have not forgotten our last fair-weather friendship. But the Glade Keepers have been adamant, an effort must be made if this fledgling of a true alliance is to be. For the sake of balance, for the sake of the bog, we suppose we must try. The Wilders The oldest of us remember a time when the Wilders were welcomed, traded with, and befriended. 
How strange it was that the clan to whom we felt the most rapport was not one of the witching clans at all, but those that lived without magic. Perhaps it was the freedom with which they live, or the mutual understanding that we have of the bog that sustains us. Even if they only use half of its potential, choosing strength over magic. But whatever it was, when the breaking came, any friendship outside the clan withered on the vine. Our meetings iced over, unspoken treaties dissolved. When they began to plunder our food stores, we let them, not wishing them ill, but not caring if our diseases took them either. Then we saw no more of them, as they retreated to the wilderness. With the fragile peace that's growing in the bog, the wilders have slowly begun to return. Crossing through our glades with reticence, they have even begun to trade with us. Their guards remain up, and we do not try to rush their trust. But perhaps the damage we have done to each other is not so great that amends cannot be made. Perhaps one day we may regrow that amity that we once had. Time will soon tell. The Circle We were slow to join the Circle. We have become independent out of necessity. Our people as scattered as they are, and the trust in our fellow clans was simply not there. When word of the circle finally reached us, we sought our gladekeeper's counsel. Their answer was absolute. Like the oldest and most powerful trees in the bog, the foundation of strength is the root system. When these roots tangle close, connecting the trees one to the next in a sprawling network of cooperation, the trees thrive, and their life pulses strong beneath the surface. This is the balance on which the bog and all who dwell within it depends. Lethru flows through us all, and it is time we remembered that.